Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Uh, right now I am in Las Vegas and I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Um, I'm going to start off this episode right away, bring on our guest because I don't want to make you guys wait, uh, for listening to me talk and talk about nothing when we all have a special gem hidden in our pocket. I want to introduce, uh, someone I've known for many, many years. Um, she was an extremely successful chess player who uh, is responsible for bringing uh, several members of the chess playing community into our little world of poker, and she's put up incredible results ever since. Please welcome to the program my friend Katie Stone. Hi, Katie. Hey, Clayton. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, when they first asked me to start hosting the podcast, i thought immediately about who I would like to interview and you are one of the first people that I thought of. I've wow. Known you. Yeah, I've known you for a long time. I really respect your approach to poker. Um, I've had the misfortune of playing at your table on numerous <laughs> occasions and uh, you clearly know what you're doing. I joke around with Julie Cornelius, our mutual friend, mm-hmm. all the time. I joke with her that uh, you own my soul. I was like, anything I tried, <laughs> anything I've ever tried against Katie Stone failed miserably. It's like you're my that kryptonite. Makes me, I mean, it makes me feel terrible in a way, but because, well, because I, it's, it would be different if I knew that that's how you felt, but this is the absolute first time I'm hearing that, like, I've done these terrible, terrible things to you. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what? I, I understand how you feel because I, there was somebody, uh, who, who was like that for me, like back pre Black Friday days online and he just, he just like would own me every single time or he just like had it every single time. So it was just like, how could both of these things be going your way? Like every single time. And then like the first time I met him in real life, uh, during the world series in Vegas, I, I was just was like, wow, you just, you know, you're just amazing. <laughs> you're just so much better. <laughs> and he just had the exact same reaction. He was like, Oh my gosh, no, no, no. Right. So, yeah. Right. So for like, a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe going to a, a, a table in Vegas during the World Series of Poker and seeing, uh, you know, Dan Smith or, uh, Jason Mercier would be like their worst nightmare. My nightmare is seeing Katie Stone at my table. <laughs> I, like, I lose sleep at night. Like, I hope Katie's not going to be at my table. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> well, no, you are a terrific player. You're not afraid to Thank make you. big calls. You're not afraid to make bluffs and, uh, you, uh, I don't know. I think that you have a really good game, very respectable uh, game. But before I get into the specifics of your poker, and by the way, guys, Katie recently won a little something something out in New Jersey. Um, what was that, Katie? Why don't you tell them? Uh, we recently at Borgata just finished the um, Fall Poker Open, which is the series that runs every year. It's about a two-week series that culminates with the $2,700 million guarantee main event. And there's all these prelims and postlims that take place. And they're, and they're just like random, you know, like $300, 150K guarantee or $50 or, or $500, uh, 500K guarantee or $500, you know, 100K guarantee. And they just kind of run continuously. So it was just one of those, um, those prelims. I think it was the 300, 150 guarantee. Um, <clears throat> that we ended up chopping and, and I took first. Um, so that was where I was like for 20 K, but my, my husband, uh, chopped the, the first event, the, the opener heads up in an even chop for like 128 K, like 48 hours earlier. <laughs> wow. See, I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Yeah. So that wow. was kind of funny because, um, I, I tweeted that, you know, like, uh, that I was playing the tournament and then I tweeted and, and, and he told me like, this is after he won and I was playing the tournament. He's like, all right, go play the tournament and make sure you bag the chip lead. 
And so then, like, I bagged the chip lead on day one. And right, so I, and I, I saw I, your tweet about yeah. that, and I said, wow, I guess if it could only always be that easy, right? I know, and but it was just so funny because it's like, you know, everybody tells you to do that every time, and obviously, like, you know, it doesn't happen every time. But um, so it was funny. I just continued with that thread and just said, well, you know, things worked out in the end, and we won the tournament, so. Yeah, yeah. well, congratulations to both Thanks. of you. Thanks. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it a good week. It was a good Thanksgiving yeah, until the tax bill comes, but we'll, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, right? These are the problems we want to have, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So you also had a deep run in the main event this year out in Vegas. Yeah, I had a, had a, um, I busted, um, like 45 minutes left in the day on day four of the main, and it was a really, really, really terrible, uh, <laughs> it was the, I mean, it was, it's probably like the, the most important hand of my life absolutely and sure. i i um i just got you know very unlucky i i feel like i i owned my opponent and my opponent uh happened to be uh Brian Altman <laughs> oh wow and he got very lucky uh all in on the turn he got very lucky on the river and uh, that was the end of my main event, and it was really traumatic. <laughs> well, you know, Katie, as the kids say today, it be like that sometimes. Yeah. It yeah, just sucks yeah. when it be like that during the main event. So uh, yeah. I'm sure that lots of people go home from the Rio with, uh, yeah. you know, I can't believe what just happened kind of thoughts. Uh, I feel that I feel that way after each and every bust out <laughs> of every tournament, just uh, a little bewildered and a little delirious, and uh, it's not fun. Um, by the way, I'm foreshadowing a story that you want to tell me uh, in a bit here about uh, reacting to a bust out. I, I think oh, you right, said you right, had a story right. about that, but I want to sure. get to that in a minute. First, I'd like you to give everyone a little bit of background on. Uh, you know, chess and poker and how did we end up here? Yeah. I mean, I often wonder that myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm married with a three-year-old playing online poker for a living. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not, it's not generally a traditional <clears throat> uh, career path, but uh, yeah, long story short, I, I mean, I grew up in chess. My family was very involved in um, <clears throat> organized chess in this country for a uh, very, very long time. My grandfather started playing chess uh, yeah, as a toddler because his father was, you know, very involved in chess. And they were big, uh, they were just big, you know, kind of uh, funders of very early international chess activity from uh, U.S. players. So, um, for example, my, my grandfather actually was one of uh, Bobby Fischer's sponsors uh, in wow. the 19, 1972 Reykjavik um World Championship versus Boris Fasky, and and he was, you know, he he was a a contributor to his education his entire life. He knew him from a, a child. He, my grandfather, also was a uh, sponsor of the U.S. Blind Chess Team uh, to go and play in the World Championships overseas. And so this is these are the kinds of activities that they were involved in. They weren't amazing players, but they were they were very good. Um, donators so to speak <laughs> right um so i started playing chess uh you know very young my grandfather had uh chess lessons for me you know starting as a child and then as i got older into high school he would send me to chess tournaments all around i was living in uh houston with my mother and so he would send me all around texas to different chess tournaments and so that was my that was my upbringing in chess. And then when I was in college, I started a business that ran summer chess camps for kids. And then um, within like five years, that company had expanded to over 100 cities across the country offering summer chess camps to kids. So it, it grew quite rapidly and on a very large scale. And um, so it was very fortunate to kind of luck into that situation. Wow. Um yeah, eventually um, decided to sell the majority of the company to switch to poker, and that's that's kind of like exactly what happened. I wa- I wanted to be a poker player, and I had this ability to not have to do anything for a while. You know, I, I didn't have to jump into another career. Um, I you know my early twenties at this point. Uh, I you know had a house in Dallas. I had two horses 
four dogs, three cats. <laughs> wow. And, you know, I just kind of, uh, started playing poker and this was like, um, uh, 2005, 2006 is when I had kind of just started playing and had a few, um, you know, didn't, didn't really start out doing it the right way. Just kind of started playing live in the Dallas area and then would go to tournaments like Oklahoma, Mississippi kind of thing. But, um, you know, really was just, uh, just a fish with a bankroll and, and not really knowing what I was doing. And so, you know, obviously didn't have a great time, ended up losing a bunch of money and was kind of, uh, traumatized from sure. that situation and that experience. And what have I done? Right. Yeah. What am I doing? Like I'm, I'm going from this like very successful career that I made up as I went along. And then now my next choice is just to throw it all away. So, uh, so I, I quit poker actually. So this was like, you know, 2006, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to play poker anymore, whatever. I was burned out. I was annoyed, traumatized. And, uh, so I just decided to take some time off and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And then, I don't know. I just kind of slowly over the next like two years, I, I really didn't do much of anything. And I just kind of slowly, uh, you know, started researching poker a little bit more and started, you know, playing a little bit on the old party poker. Uh, and, you know, just kind of realized that I had made some pretty big mistakes uh, the first time around and knew that I was smart enough to uh, try to start again and, and try to do it more responsibly. And so, um, so that was, you know, uh, 2008, I started playing again. And here we are. <laughs> well, that's quite a story. I, it's not often that I interview someone and say, wow, four times. <laughs> but I think you just have a wow factor, Katie. This is impressive. Uh, from Bobby Fisher to what sounds like bankroll mismanagement, uh, Very much other so. mistakes. Uh, and, and all the way back to winning tournaments at the Borgata. So, uh, yeah, it's a wild ride. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, my stereotype, I guess, about growing up in a chess family and being around chess from a very young age is that many of the children in that life, uh, feel pressure and they, 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 they get stressed out about it. Uh, I guess the general question I'd like to ask you is, did you enjoy chess when you were very young or did you just not really know anything else? Uh, no, I mean, I think that it's really easy for a parent to understand if their, if their child is enjoying themselves or not, because they just really like won't learn if they're not enjoying themselves, you know? And the thing with chess is that you, especially for kids, is you really need to enjoy what you're doing and the kids really need to be having fun with what they're doing if they're going to improve at all. And I think for me, I definitely did not have that enjoyment that my family, mostly my grandfather had envisioned. I don't think his, his, even his own son, my uncle, I don't, you know, he tried to get him into chess as well. I don't think that he did either. Uh, but I also don't think it was like this huge disappointment, a life disappointment from, from him. I think he just wanted to, you know, pass on his love of, of chess that had been passed on, you know, to him and he wanted to pass it on to us, you know, hoping that something would stick. I, I definitely don't think he, he would have ever been able to predict that, you know, it might not stick in the way that he wanted it to stick, but it would actually stick in a completely different way that had arguably, you know, much broader effect. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, very intriguing answer. Um, I'm familiar with, I'm, I'm friends with some other chess players that at least some of them you know for sure, like Jen Shahadi, of course. Um, do you know Jeff Sarwer? Um, I don't know him personally, but it's obviously somebody who I've known of okay. for, you know, oh, you know, obviously over 20 or more than that years, you know, sure. yeah, well, <laughs> 25 okay, so, years. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, Jeff Sarwer was kind of a – uh, a young chess prodigy and maybe he's, you know, I'm friends with him and maybe that's a reason why I have this stereotype in the first place. He had uh, a very different sounding 
childhood than yours where it wasn't like, oh, well, if the kids are enjoying it, we'll continue it. But if they're not enjoying it, then we will let them try something else. It was more like you will play music, you will play chess. And it was yeah. just kind of that sort of um, uh, just mentality uh, on the parents' side. And uh, he was a, a big star in the chess world as a young boy. Everyone said, oh, he's the next Bobby Fischer or whatever. And uh, just for those who don't know, he ended up disappearing out of the chess world. He actually wrote a screenplay about it that I'm praying uh, we can get somebody to produce because I think it's an, inc an incredible story. And then just he kind of resurfaces many years later as this amazing poker player. And so there seems to be a link between people who were good at chess or maybe still are, but at least people that start off their lives very young with the chess background seem to have a flair for poker. Or maybe that's just the nature of uh, playing games. Like you learn about competition, you want to win. How connected do you think chess and poker really are? Um, I think that chess players who either switch to poker or who just also learn poker, like just brand new, fresh new game. I think that they probably have an edge just simply because they're used to learning a game and, and kind of looking at game theory and, and also they understand how to improve and they understand the time requirements right. necessary to improve. So like versus somebody who, is just some random guy who sees poker on TV and is like, Oh, I want to start playing poker, which I've probably just described a very large pop population of the poker playing public as we know it today. Right. For sure. Definitely. So, so like this is, this is what they would do. They say, okay, like, let me, whatever, like, you know, go play or who knows what, what they do to learn the game, if anything, whereas a, a chess player coming into a new game is immediately, going to start studying and they're going to know how to study and they're going to be very good at it. And so their ability to improve quickly just kind of um, really like puts a, a random player to shame kind of, you know, so um, yeah. there's definitely, you know, an advantage in, right. in that. Um, yeah. yeah. I always thought that poker uh, was a game that has a perfect balance of luck and skill. And, you know, there are other games that combine those two elements. I always thought of chess as being a game that doesn't involve luck at all. But there's Jeff, there's a little there's a little bit of luck in chess. Yeah. Jeff Sarwer <laughs> made it clear to me that I was just deadly wrong about that. And then uh, he proceeded to try to explain to me how luck works in chess. And uh, he lost me after about three minutes. So. <laughs> Well, it, it just it comes into play like in in just multiple different formats, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a little bit. I mean, it's a little. It's just a very cumbersome uh, topic, just because there can be luck on many different issues, many different levels, and many different whatever. So, right. but 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 there definitely is luck at the most basic form of of luck. Your opponent doesn't show up. <laughs> right, so that's pretty lucky. <laughs> you win <that's>, automatically. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, like all right. Some, I'll yeah, give you like that some, one. <laughs> somebody, it's like somebody sitting out, you know, when you're or yeah. whatever, you know, like somebody's not not logged in at the time the tournament starts, so you're playing eight-handed instead of nine-handed, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I could really, I could pick your brain all day, but I know that our listeners want us to get to strategy. So just <laughs> before we do, um, tell us what you're doing for party poker in New Jersey these days. So I'm a sponsored pro with BorgataPoker.com, and Borgata is MGM, and we our software is the Party Poker software, but the skins we have three skins in New Jersey is Play MGM, Borgata Poker, and Party Poker, and and they they all look a little bit different, they all function a little bit differently from one another, and Play MGM is the newest skin, so that's the most updated skin, um, but anyway, so I play online poker for a living. Uh, I mean, I also play live poker uh, here at Borgata, but um, I'd say it's probably like an 80-20 split, 80% online, 20% live. Okay. There's, gener there's generally like, you know, a series that runs here at Borgata probably on average every like seven weeks or something. You know, there'll be like a either a five-day deep stack series or 
uh, or a one day 100K or like a two week, you know, what other deeper stack series, you know. Um, <clears throat> so my, I'm, I guess you could, you know, I guess a term that's been used before is ambassador, um, but but the term that they use for for us is sponsored pro, and yeah, I mean my my responsibilities I I mean are you know quite different I think from what the sponsored pros in of the past um, have. You know, like meaning that I'm not a high roller. So I'm not somebody who's out there playing live 10Ks and firing. I'm not playing 25Ks. I'm not, you know, going to Europe anymore. I'm, I'm staying home playing online poker and taking care of my son. So she's just like us. uh, (laughs) She puts her pants on one leg at a time and she gets up, goes to work, takes care of her family. Uh, But I, but I, I have a lot of um, experience from, you know, being a full-time online player pre-Black Friday and then, you know, post-Black Friday moving to Mexico and then playing live in Vegas. And, and so I've kind of, you know, run the gamut, so to speak, of, right. of being a, a low to mid-stakes full-time grinder. Um, and so, and, and additional, in, additionally, with my prior life's experience of, of starting a company and successfully, um, exiting not a hundred percent, but, um, you know, at, at an early age, uh, that also um, was a very unrestricting experience, meaning that I had I had never been restricted create creatively in any way before, and so um, that experience uh, has been very valuable for my working with Borgata Poker because um, they are able to do a lot of things that other sites are not able to do. And, uh, so it's been, it's been a really, really fun first year working with them because we've gotten to do a lot of, a lot of cool things. Amazing. Amazing. And what about tournament poker edge? Have you had much experience with our site at all? So it's interesting. I I actually, when I first, when I got back into poker, uh, the second time around 2008, uh, 2009, I was I was a subscriber to Tournament Poker Edge, so I used to watch a lot of those. That was oh, like okay. that was a very very big influencer in my early online days, like mid 09. Um, that I was like really I started online full time beginning 09, but mid 09 uh, I was playing all the sites and yeah, I was really grinding. Yeah, good good one to learn from for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, great. Well, let's get into some strategy. By the way, I have I take exception with you calling yourself a small to mid stakes grinder when you told me already <laughs> you played the Borgata main event, which was like three thousand dollars, and I see you in Vegas playing the ten K main event. So I don't think you can use small you could say you're mid stakes if you want to, because nowadays <laughs> high stakes means that you go with like the German contingent to like a hundred thousand dollar uh high rollers twice a month, but you're no you know small stakes anything, okay? I mean, yeah, I guess I, I just think, I just think in the, in the overall scheme of things, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I have, I have friends right now that are sitting at the table with 700 K in front of them. So I'm like, right. you know, pretty, my average buy-in online is, is like $101. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> Which so that's, for online is definitely not small. No. <laughs> yeah. Even for online poker, that's not small stakes. So no, I just but wanted it's, to it's, yeah, it's peanuts in relation to that. But yeah, obviously <laughs> But, you know, one thing about the poker world, it seems like no matter how big we get, there's always someone way above if mm-hmm. we look up. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's very similar to my other career in comedy, by the way, but we're not going to get into that today. So let's yeah. talk about some hands you played live uh, at Borgata. seems like you, with all that, with all those hours you put in during this uh, Borgata fall poker open, there must be uh, a hand, either you, whatever you have from the tournament that you won or the one where you, uh, or the main, whatever you want to talk about would be great. Yeah, there was a couple things uh, that were interesting that came up. Um, well, first of all, the the tournament that I ended up chopping and went, uh, taking first, uh, that was my first time. I don't know if you've played like deep and shorthanded with Big Blind Annie, but this was my first, I mean, I've obviously played Big Blind Annie a lot, but I hadn't had, I think, like a 
a live final table yet. Uh, I haven't. And, the closest I've come is uh, six max, where you know maybe a player's missing. So I've played five handed right. with big blind ante, but right. I haven't. I haven't made my first big blind ante final table yet. Yeah. So we were in the situation where like there were six of us left. Um, the the amount separating our stacks was really negligible. So like chip leader had let's say five million. And then, like, second through fifth had between, like, 3.5 and 4.5 million. And then somebody had, like, you know, 3.2 million or something. So it wasn't, like, it, it wasn't, like, huge. And, and, and the blinds were going up to, at the next level, and this is when we decided to chop, um, the blinds were 600K. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's almost a crapshoot at that point unless there's a player at the table who really has no idea how to play. Yeah, and and so I, I was kind of like in a quandary because, you know, early like as you as we get to the final table, I thought to myself, you know, and and first place in this tournament was I think like forty five k or something. Um, so, you know, like my first thought is 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 understanding that like. You know, the big blind obviously is an issue, but my first thought was I'm not going to chop at this final table because um, I just like really like, I, you know, my husband just had a really great score 48 hours later. Um, you know, like I, you know, I, maybe I might be inclined to chop like, you know, shorthanded if, if whatever the situation, you know, comes up. But I just kind of felt like, you know what, I want to try to play this out, you know, like I really just want to play it out and get the experience. It's 45k for first. It's, you know, um, let's just play it out and, and have some fun. And we get six handed and like we're on break and like, I've never seen I've, like five men at the same final table, like every single one of them, just like not wanting to sit down to like restart the level, you know, like every <laughs> single one of them was just standing and just like, you guys, like, this is so stupid. Like, this is really ridiculous. And, and, and I, I, I was like, God, like, I feel bad. Like I, I, I feel the same way, you know, like, yes, like I would love to sit here and like, you know, win 45 K right now. But, um, the players just were not happy. I have to say they weren't happy. And this was kind of an eye opening experience for me. It's something that I, you know, the net over the next few days, I actually went to our tournament director tab at Borgata and, you know, talked to him about and had some really like eye opening discussion about this because it's one thing to talk about it, Clayton. It's another thing to experience it yourself, you know? And, um, so I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with the Glenanny. I don't know if they're going to eventually make some adjustments at the final table, doing something like maybe they have the Annie or or something. But the the play just really was non-existent uh, for the amateurs, and I think in the end that's going to be not good for poker because the amateurs will feel at such a disadvantage when they get to that stage of the game. You see what okay, I'm saying? So let's, yeah, I do. So let's talk about these numbers. So at this point in the tournament, the blinds are 300,000, 600,000 with a big blind ante of 600,000. So there's mm-hmm. 1.5 million <clears throat> in the pot as the cards are being dealt. And the chip leader mm-hmm. has how many chips? Like 5.2. Right. So yeah. in terms of M, you're basically playing... Uh, what what is that about nine? Yeah. Wait, 5.2. Oh my God, I'm wrong. No, 5.2. I, I, I was going to say like four or something. No, yeah, it's, about, I, it's I, between I, three I, and four. 5.2, yeah, yeah 1.5. Yeah. yeah, it's between three and four. So, you know, anyone who's studied M or if you just want to do how many big blinds do we have, it, you know, Katie, uh, the listeners are going to be laughing through this part because it seems like every week I start pounding the table about how we all must start thinking in terms of M. We have to think <laughs> in terms of M. And the reason why is because if you take uh, a tournament from even two years ago, the final table would have uh, 300,000, 600,000 with maybe a 75,000 ante. So mm-hmm. six-handed instead of 1.5 million in the middle – there would be only 1.2. Yeah. Just under. Yeah. 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 So when you think of it that way, that's a, that makes a big difference. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, There are two ways to solve this. One is uh, 
to not change anything. And players will just need to take more chances earlier in the tournaments so that they don't get to the final table with an M of three, as a chip leader with an M of three or four. Uh, the reason why the uh, final tables nowadays often feel short stacked is because players are waiting for the nuts and not taking chances. Everyone has learned from training sites to try to avoid variance. And I've seen players say, ah, it's too early. I don't want to take a coin flip. Uh, they don't want luck to play a role in the tournament. So if mm-hmm. you, and, and there's also, everyone's learned so much about ICM. So it's like, well, if I just fold this hand that I might otherwise play and wait for that guy to bust out, then maybe I can make a few thousand more. And all of that stuff has caused the blinds and antes to gradually eat us up. The problem is when it gets shorthanded, they don't eat us up gradually. They eat us up. They swallow us whole. Yeah, and that's what the wrecks rem- will remember. That's the that's the taste in their mouth that we don't want. And that's yeah. the problem that I have with that. Um, it's yeah, just so, kind of, yeah. So what they could do is say when we get into the money, uh, the antes go cut into half mm-hmm. um, or, or any similar solution where there's just more play. You know, the relationship between the stack uh, and the pot is always going to determine the theoretically optimal strategy. But, for but, it's, but it's like, when do you have when do you have the any? Because this is exactly what Tab and I were discussing. It's it's when do you do it? You, do you do it at six handed? Do you do it at 18 players? You know, right. what what makes the most sense? And, and the problem is, is that. Nobody, I think at this point, as far as like tournament directors or poker rooms, nobody's really going to be willing to like take that risk right now because Big Blind Annie is still catching on. Like there, there's, there's places that still are not using Big Blind Annie. Remember, not every tournament this summer was Big Blind Annie in, in the World Series even. So, right. um, right. I don't know that they're going to be willing to like, you know, make another adjustment, uh, to, this adjustment like right now and that's problematic i think because you know if if we're able to recognize an issue right away you know specifically like at some of these places like borgata that are running these huge tournaments on a really consistent basis like those are the people those are the tournament staff you should be listening to because those are the people that are way more in touch with what the players you know want and don't like and this this has just been, you know, this was my experience from this tournament was that, you know, these players, you know, just weren't happy about the, the lack of play at the final right. table. And and that's the exact opposite of what BorgataPoker.com is known for, because we're known for our, you know, very comprehensive structures and how it encourages and how the final table play and, and, and deep play. So it's tough for me to be, you know, something for me to be, you know, dealing with because it's like you want, um, you want everybody to enjoy what, you know, the experience. So what was the buy-in? Uh, how much did it cost to play that tournament? So this was a 300, uh, and they're, and they're just like unlimited re-entry up until like maybe like level 10 or something, right? which is like three quarters of the way through the day. Right. So maybe that's part of the problem too. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things you could do to tweak the the the, uh, the structure of the tournament. Um, my thinking, and I'm sure that you and I disagree on this, but my thinking is that a $300 tournament should have a turbo element to it. I don't think they should have 10 levels of of re-entry, but I don't think that will change because ever since tournaments moved from a re-buy to a re-entry format, uh, the house is now making a lot more money off of all of those re-entries, and they didn't used to rake rebuys in tournaments. If you're mm. playing in a rebuy eligible tournament, you could buy back in, and all of the rebuy money went directly to the prize pool. Uh, I'm sure you remember that if you started in t- 2006. Uh, you know, I guess five or six years ago, rebuys kind of became a thing of the past. I'm sure you can find one on Poker Stars or someplace in the world, but it, it's very few and far between at this point. And casinos are making a lot more money off of that. And obviously, the longer we keep registration open, the more money we can collect off of those re-entries and the rake that comes with each and every one. So uh, all that just to say, I don't think that's going to be a solution that the casinos will like, although it would solve this problem. Uh, well, it, 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 would, it would kind of have – I mean it would kind of have – 
a, a twofold effect because firstly, um, yes, the, I mean, I, I, I don't know what I feel about, uh, reentry period ending. However, I will tell you that it, you know, you know, yes, um, reentry period lasts, you know, X amount of levels and yes, the tournament is raking every single entry, but guess what is also not happening because people are continuing to reenter the tournament and then maybe they're, they're paying their $35 rake, but, but they're not going and playing cash. They're not going and playing sit and goes. So that's something that, that, you know, everywhere has seen is there, there used to be way more thriving sit and go environments. There used to be way more thriving cash games during even like these, you know, random series during the year. But now that reentry is open so long, it's kind of hard to get like sitting goes going. It's kind of hard to get live saddies going at times. Right. And so, so what happens yeah. is everybody's still in the tournament and they just keep right. firing and firing. They keep firing. And firing. Yeah. 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 And so then no one's playing cash and no one's playing mm-hmm. sitting goes, which is a, so a side effect issue. of this that I, yeah. yeah, that is an issue yeah. and a side effect that I hadn't considered because I've never been a brand ambassador <laughs> or a sponsor pro. <laughs> but yeah, that is something to think about. There's a trade off there, right? I mean, the poker players who show up, it's a finite number. And then, uh, they have X amount of cash, uh, with which to play. And everybody wants to win the tournament. So if you're going to keep letting me play the tournament, I'm going, to, I can remember, uh, back in 06 when you started, there used to be, a $65 nightly tournament at Taj Mahal was a $50 buy-in with a $15 uh, entry fee. Mm-hmm. And we would get like 300 players. Yeah, I've won, that. I've won that tournament before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every night, right? And you probably won like four or five thousand. And, and then there was also like a Midnight Madness also. There oh, was a yeah, tournament well, that was later. They, they added the Midnight yeah. Madness. But yeah. see, to me, that was part of the problem. Because that $65 tournament at one point was the only tournament at the Taj Mahal that day. There was mm-hmm. no early tournament and there was no later tournament. People would come early, play cash until the tournament started. And when they busted out of the tournament, they would play cash again. So having all of these tournament options is only you – know, if that's what the players want, that's why the casinos are giving it to them. Sure. But then to make it worthwhile for the casinos, they need to – get rid of rebuys and just keep raking and raking and raking uh, all of these additional buy-ins, which I don't blame them because I understand that's the business model, but there is a price for that. So let's assume that the casinos are not going to drastically change the format. Uh, I don't mean to be pessimistic about that, but I just we have mm-hmm. to try this for a while and see what works and what doesn't. I think something that would really help is if players would adjust their strategies accordingly. Um, I think people take ICM a little too far. I think people don't take as many spots as they used to. By the way, that <laughs> that Taj Mahal tournament, uh, you know, you would start with like 80 big blinds and half the field would be gone by the first break uh, <laughs> just because that's how we used to play. It was just, yeah. you know, people love to yeah. go all in. Now everyone's min-raising and everyone's, you know, doing so much pot control. And just the, the style of poker that we're playing has changed as – uh, training sites and other professional coaches um, have encouraged everyone to avoid variance. And, you know, even at your final table, if you had played for the win there, you had the chip lead, right? Mm-hmm. So you had a marginally better chance, and I mean marginally better chance of winning that tournament with your M of three and a half as the chip leader, just because you had more chips and could afford to lose one, mm-hmm. <laughs> one pot, one free flop all in. Right? Mm-hmm. And you just didn't want to play for that kind of money with that kind of variance, which I cannot blame you at all. Yeah. I mean, and nobody did, you know, nobody that, that's, did. that's right. the thing. Nobody did. I mean, nobody wanted to, to take these flips. And, right. and so. maybe that's part of the problem right there, Katie, is that I think that not only at the final table, players are avoiding taking flips, but strategically as players get more and more sophisticated in terms of, uh, Understanding what, yeah. Understanding the game, understanding ICM, and understanding why variance uh, works against you in uh, you know survival-based uh, games. Then people have gotten too tight, 
too nitty. Mm. And then we, as a result, a tournament that should take 10 hours takes three days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mean to say should, but I could say, no, that I mean, otherwise. I, yeah, I mean, you said this, you said this before, like you said, you probably would disagree with me about, um, you know, live tournament turbo. Listen, if every, I've said this before, if every live tournament I ever played for the rest of my life was a turbo, I would be a very happy person. Like I, I, I am, I am definitely uh, in favor of that concept. Um, yeah. the, but, but, it, but the problem is, is just it's not, it's not something that the players really want. You know, it's not what the players want because it's not yeah. what they're being taught, and it's not the current thinking in terms of how best to approach this game of tournament no limit hold'em. Um, and because of that, where you know, if if you can imagine, if players had taken more spots and. Uh, embraced variants even a little bit, showing up at the final table with a big blind of, uh, let's say, 200,000 instead mm-hmm. of 600,000, your M would have been 10, which mm-hmm. I think the chip leader in a $300 tournament at the final table, should. it's fine if your M is 10. I think mm-hmm. that's okay because it's a $300 tournament. Now, if you play a super high roller, you don't want to have uh, such a short stack as a chip leader at the final table, but... Uh, you know, that's the, the part. In other words, the players have uh, brought this on themselves in a sense because everyone's so averse to variance and everyone has gotten so sophisticated in terms of game theory. And I don't think that much game theory out there discusses, well, what is the value of not taking this coin flip if it just means that I'm going to have to follow the old standard push fold chart in five minutes anyway when the blinds go up again? So. I mean, tournament poker has always been, to some degree, a race between how fast the players can play and how fast the blinds and antis can move up. They're always coming for you. The blinds and antis are always coming for you. And in this particular tournament, the blinds and antis got there way before the players wanted them to. And then as a result, everyone at the final table was unhappy. But I think that all six of you should take some responsibility for that yeah. because you could have you could have played faster earlier and not gotten to that point. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, maybe maybe it's something that ends up fixing itself because the players Nobody are wants just that. yeah. Well, I mean, it's just the players are just so much more incentivized to to chop, you know. So sure. so that that ends up generally, you know, making people happy. So so maybe maybe it just fixes itself that way. But listen, it's really tough like for these for these poker rooms because they're trying to do they can't please everybody and they're trying to do everything they can to enhance the player's experience because they are raising the rake right like yeah. rake is rake is going up and that's that's also not going to stop too right so you know it's like when you when you see like adjustments like this that are being implemented to enhance the experience of the game uh, not just for the players, but it's also it's, it's also easier, I think, uh, on the on the dealers. It's easier on the staff, um, you know. But then, but then something like this emerges, situation like this that you just you know has to play out enough times for you to really truly understand it and understand what to do about it. And then everybody complains about that too. It's just like nothing's ever like no process is perfect. You know, you still have to figure stuff out and figure out like the right ways to adjust and it just takes time it takes time and i think yeah they're wise to not think that they'll ever find a solution that pleases everybody uh the best but they're trying they, <laughs> they are, are trying, trying. <laughs> and, that, and that's a good that's a noble uh cause yeah. to try yeah. to please everybody but yeah. the fact is you can't please no. everybody and poker players are notoriously opinionated about everything sure. from poker to politics so uh, of course, the people will be vocal and they will express their displeasure. But I'm I'm just saying I think it would be nice to see more players actually accept their role in in what happens. Uh, you know, everybody knew the rules of the game before it started that we're going to have a big blind ante, and maybe people didn't think ahead. Well, how is that going to affect my strategy? But maybe we should have looked at this thing as more of a turbo than we did, and then we could have avoided. This unfortunate uh, – I hate to see players get that far in an event and be at a final table and all of them be unhappy. Yeah. Um, but I also think that they should accept that they had something to do with it too. So 
Uh, I hope you're not offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. I mean, no, it's good. You know, it's good to talk about these things because this is how you eventually figure out the right solution and you know which which is the right way to go. So. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So this has been the Tournament Director Association podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're really getting into uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, but I think people will find that very interesting, although probably not as interesting as actually discussing the hand that you played. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, I mean, there was there was one hand, in, you know, that I played. This was during the $2,700 main event last week um where guarantee or one this was the the fall poker open is a one million guarantee 2700 the wpts in uh september and january are the 3500 um i think it's either two or three million guarantee i forget um it's three million i think um but yeah so the 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 this was a 2700 um and this hand it like it wasn't like it, it wasn't a hand that the play was like you know, like I did anything crazy. I mean, well, he certainly did something crazy or, or whatever, but, um, it was just more so like, I wasn't really exactly thrilled with how I handled the hand because I just definitely got like frustrated. And I, I kind of just like, you know, I kind of said something under my breath, like, <laughs> you know, like, what are you doing? You know? And, and that's not normal for me. And I, I think it was just, um, you know, it's just like this, this very, um, rare occurrence where like it just kind of made me think because it's like i i don't play as much live poker as a lot of these people do i'm mostly online and um you know it's just kind of for me it's just like one of the the constant struggles is just uh you know just kind of how to not not how to like handle yourself it's just like sometimes you get really really frustrated with what somebody does and like especially like when it's in like a really important tournament is for like a lot of chips and um I you're only dealing with humans <laughs> and then like you're and it's like you're only playing one tournament whereas like you know if i'm home i have you know like six or eight shots going and like whatever right, one right. tournament's nothing but like you're playing this one tournament for like how many days like a big buy-in and then like just somebody does something just really absurd and it was just kind of like a you know like everything kind of came together for me. And it was actually the first time that I was playing one of the Borgata mains, um, which was like to, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Katie, yeah. but do you want mm -hmm. to review the details of the hand or just the, yeah, part of the yeah. Hand? I mean, it was, it was, it was just like, it was really stupid. It was just like, um, I want to say the blinds were 600, 300, 600. This guy opens, um, like under the gun, Two, we're playing eight-handed. I mean, we might have even been playing seven-handed because uh, these mains generally start like pretty short-handed because people late reg. Um, so we were playing like five-handed for um, like a very long time actually. Um, so yeah, so he just he just opens like under the gun two to fifteen hundred. I just call on the button with king ten of clubs, and we are um, the starting stack in this tournament was thirty k. He probably yeah he he had like probably forty k, and I had just over like eighty k actually. Okay. Um. So I had chipped up quite a bit uh, at this point, and so the big blind also defends. So we're three ways, and the flop is uh like king six deuce two spades. Uh, I have king ten clubs. Big blind checks. The opener bets. Uh, let's just say you bet twenty five hundred. Forget the exact amount. I called big blind folds. The turn is a ten, like a red ten. All right. So now we have uh, two pair, and there's about yeah, 10,000 10, chips in the pot ish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he checks. I bet about three quarters pot, and he calls. And the river is a five. So the board reads King do six, ten, five rainbow. And he just shoves <laughs> and he, sh he shoves for like, you know, pot size bet or whatever. Um, okay. he shoves for like, like 27 K or something like that. So four, three got there pocket fives got there. What else got there? I mean, you know, and, and, yeah. and so this is, and this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking like, okay, it's possible that he's, uh, it's, it's possible he's doing this with Ace King because he just doesn't know what to do. You know, like he doesn't want to have to call off. So this is like a defensive shove for some reason, but like the river just like doesn't really complete anything that he would be check calling the turn with. 
So I didn't, I didn't take too long to call. I think I took um, maybe like five seconds to call because <laughs> like it just like nothing yeah, really made, made the, yeah, yeah like nothing really made sense to me and even though like this is a like you know more than half my stack at this point in this hand i you know i just didn't see what kind of hand other than a flopped set or right. just a very weak one pair hand you know i just wasn't really um i wasn't really believing like what he was doing and I ended up calling, and he actually did have a pair of fives in his hand. So he bet flop and then check called the turn with two fives in his hand. Ugh. And I just was like – and, then like, I, I see the river, and, and, like, like I even said, I was like, the five was on the river, right? Like, yeah. Was like, like, the five was the river, right? And, like, a couple people started laughing, and I was just like, oh, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, like, and, and, you know, like, I shouldn't I, – I, I just should you know, it's – it was a very mild reaction from me, but it it was still just like I wasn't happy that I even said that, you know, because I just I just oh, don't ever. Katie, I, can't, I have to tell you, I am I'm so disappointed. I thought we were going to get this juicy. Uh, I'm not proud of. I mean, the way you set it up, I'm not proud of what I did. There was a thing that happened, and I I I couldn't control myself. And you're like, the five is on the river, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I just don't think that like I should say anything, you know, Agreed. other than nice, other than nice hand, you know. Agreed. So, but, but so yeah, of all the so things for- you could have said, <laughs> the fives on the river is pretty mild, as you said. So, all right. But but you know, for me, that was just like that was like an error, you know. It was just an error in just me allowing, you know, just or not, or just me kind of, you know, losing a little bit of control in a situation that I shouldn't have because I have. Um, you know, decent amount of experience in for, you know, for this type. I mean, you know, yes, it's a $2,700 buy-in, but that's not an unusual amount of money for me to be in for on a, a Tuesday or a Sunday or, you know what I mean? So it's that's not like... That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. You would normally be playing, you know, that much in... Yeah. Uh, you know, spread out across eight or ten tables online mm-hmm. or whatever you play. Sure, uh, sure. It, it's really yeah. it's the same dollar amount. It's just... You know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. Uh, how much more it hurts to take a bad beat in a live event because you're you're basically always one tabling, and it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it, and that was hard. that was kind of like what happened to me. You know, I just yeah. was like, you know, and and I felt really badly, and um, but and I actually had a girlfriend at the table. One of my girlfriends was actually at the table. And I even texted her like afterwards and I was just like, oh, I just feel like not not right after, but like after I ended up busting uh, a little while later um, to Aaron Massey, I I texted her and I was just like, oh, I just feel really badly about like my reaction. She's like, oh, no, you're fine, blah, 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 whatever. But it was just uh, <clears throat> I would feel yeah. worse about losing to Aaron Massey. <laughs> yeah, especially since uh, like I, I texted the hand history to one of my friends and he was just like, yeah, I might, I might consider folding pre to him. And I had Queens. Oh, come <laughs> so, on. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it was just, it was just like a very like, you know, Queens versus aces, like nothing, you know, yeah, nothing, whatever. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, I think yeah. Aaron Massey's a fun person to, yeah. to pick on because I feel like he always draws a big target on his chest. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So as far as, if some people might be listening to this, like and like me, they were expecting a a much bigger a verbal blow up at the end with the <laughs> setup that you gave us. But what you guys need to understand, I've known Katie for many many years, maybe I'd say at least seven or eight years, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I've never seen you comment on anyone's play at the table. I mean, the way you comport yourself at the table is uh, just a perfect role model a great example like sometimes you might be a little bit quiet like maybe not completely social but yeah uh you're never and I, I'm, I'm working comment. on that <laughs> yeah well especially as a sponsored pro brand sure. ambassador whatever we want to call it like yeah you sure. do need to like you know show your teeth a little bit more and uh you know press some flesh kiss some babies that kind of stuff of course that's part of the job um but you know even before you had sponsorships and when you were just another grind debt on the grind Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I thought that you were always just, uh, you know, very classy. And so where someone listening might be like, well, I would have told the guy to stick it up, at, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, 
you know, for you, the standard to which you hold yourself is that you would never say yeah. something after taking yeah. a bad beat like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I appreciate that. That's, um, uh, that's, that's, it's, I mean, it's nice to hear you say that because I, you know, I, I, I do, uh, hold myself to an extremely high standard and, uh, you know, it's just something I've, it's just, it's just the way I am. It's not yeah. anything that I've, I, I can't change that if I wanted right, to, you know, like right. I just, it's just how I am and I can't, uh, you know, at times, at times it's tough though. Cause like I, it's like, when do you stop beating yourself up for something like that? You know, it's well, like, I, yeah. I, like I made a really terrible, I made a really terrible, if you want to talk about another hand really fast, I made a really terrible mistake, uh, in a satellite the other night online Definitely, where, absolutely. where like, it's just like, I'm, I'm just like mortified. Like, how do I make this mistake? Like, this is just something I should know where this was, uh, online on WSOP, uh, which I can, I can say that by the way, my, my, uh, sponsorship is, uh, does not, uh, disallow me to play on other oh, sites, which is, which is, a, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. They realize that I need to pay my rent, so. Okay, and they're not paying your rent. So. <laughs> they help. They help. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but this was. Um, so they they were having they had an online 1k, uh, 50k. Like once a month, they have a 50k guarantee, 1k buy-in. They have some satellites for it, and so this was an 150 dollars satellite, 10 seat guarantee, and the prize pool paid. It was paying 12 seats, so 12 1,000 dollars seats. 13th place was getting $232 and I I'm 13 of 13. The blinds right. are 1600 and being 13 of 13, I have 9,600 in chips. Okay. So we are hand for hand and is there the an but, ante? uh, let's just say the ante is like 16% or something. Okay. So it's something like 800, 1600 with maybe like 100 ante. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's fine. Just say that. Yeah, just 100. Um, and the button shoves, it's folded to the button, shoves, and the button covers me very, 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 very slightly. The button shoves for like 10.5. And I'm in the small blind, 9,600. Big blind has a lot of chips. Big blind has like 50K or something. Uh, I have ace 10 of diamonds. And I'm in the small blind for 800 and 9,600 chips. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's not easy, but I think folding is the play. Just because you have so... There's so much value in folding. And and you're yeah. probably behind, or if you're not behind... If you are ahead, you're not ahead by much, unless you have specifically an ace that you dominate. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's uh, I, I mean, I don't think you should beat yourself up for calling. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, but 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 the issue is, it's it's not really about like your hand strength though. That's the thing, you know. Yeah, like you, I mean, I mean, yeah. Be. Like you have a strong hand, and like yeah, like a lot of times you're gonna be, you know, button's gonna be jamming wider, even though you are like hand for hand. But button has to have like something decent because you are jamming into a big stack in the big blind, right? And you are hand for hand. So like and you're not the shortest stack. It's not the shortest stack, right? He is jamming into somebody who who, you know, potentially could bust before, you know, him or her. So you know, like you're 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 like it's just I mean, I don't think you're supposed to fold aces. I don't think you're supposed to fold kings, but like um, I, so I actually had asked my friend, um, Matt Hunt. I don't know if you know who Matt Hunt is. Um, no. he, he works with, um, Matt Berkey's group, Solve for Y in oh, Vegas. Great. Yeah. Um, and he's like a solver guy. And I actually used to play online versus him, um, post Black Friday, like 2012, 2013. We used to, we used to battle on full poker, actually. Awesome. Uh, Ginger45 was his screen name. Anyway, he's, he's like, he, he actually like, did that he put this you know ran some numbers for me and and everything and he, said he he that button button's supposed to jam 66 percent but we are only supposed to call jacks plus and that's like from a pure icm like you know uh viewpoint and yeah. so and what ended up happening was um you know i did call and then what ends up happening some of the time too is that big blind uh you know also calls and you know, busts both of us. And because I had, you know, least amount of chips, uh, I, you know, I bubble, which is exactly what happened. He called with ace nine button had queen Jack and, um, 
you know, and, and I got knocked out and, and Queen Jack got knocked out. So, um, I'm very so, surprised yeah. that you're supposed to fold tens according yeah. to the solver. That's a surprise. Yeah. I would have thought the range was more, would be more like ace, jack plus, and, and even and and Jax's seven. break and Jax's break even by the way so yeah, it's right. it's it's like a very very slight so it's it's really like queens kings right. and aces and that's it yeah so it's um and and that's like and and that was frustrating for me because that's a pretty big error on my part because that's something that should be more automatic and I shouldn't be calling, you know it's right. yeah I shouldn't be calling and like as I'm thinking about it I just kind of was just like whatever. And that was just like a lack of discipline also on my part where, um, you know, that's just uh, it's just something that you always have to like work on. Like nobody's immune to this stuff. You know, it's like I you know, like I've been playing online poker for most of my adult life and I'm still making these stupid mistakes, you know, like and it's like everybody does it. And it's just you have to like, like admit that you're making the mistakes. That's the thing. And then. Like right. do some do something to fix it for God's sake, you know. Like, and then also admit that you will continue to make mistakes for the rest of your life. Yeah. And yeah. the best that we can hope for is to minimize them. Yeah. And you know, you can't like lose sleep over a mistake you made at the poker table. Sure. Um, Barry Greenstein famously said he makes hundreds of mistakes every time he plays. And you know he's a pretty well uh, yeah, <laughs> regarded yeah. player, right? So if he's yeah, making sure. hundreds of mistakes, now he means that he could have bet a little bit bigger and gotten paid, or he he could have bluffed for a smaller amount and still gotten it through. Like I mean, mistakes is a relative term, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, in this case, using those chips in an aggressive way rather than make it a marginal call. For sure. uh, yeah. Especially now that we know what the solver says um, is a mistake for sure. But mm-hmm. it's not the biggest mistake you've ever made at the poker table. And it won't be the biggest mistake you make probably in the next six to 12 months. Well, so, I mean, six to 12 hours, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in other words, uh, unlike the uh, the chess player you were born and raised to be, uh, you have to remember that you're you're not a robot and, and you will make mistakes and and yeah, don't beat yourself up it, about this or about saying the five came on the river. You know, they're just you're human. You're at the end of the day, you're a person, flesh and blood, and that's yeah, you know, that's that's how we are. We all yeah. make mistakes, and that's just life. Um, except for Aaron Massey, he is perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we didn't get to do as much strategy as uh, I hoped, and and that the listeners are are used to, but uh, this way. I think for some of our listeners, this will be their first introduction to you. So my hope is that this hour of your life wasn't so painful that that you'll reject me next time I ask you to come on the podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I had a great time. Um, I had a great time with you, and I definitely would love to come back and talk to you anytime for sure. Good. And now that we yeah. know who you are and where you come from, we can skip the uh, biographical background and get more into uh, some deep uh, hand analysis next time. But yeah, I think that we had a lot of topics to talk about here, uh, whether it's how to handle uh, big blind anti tournaments. Maybe we need to think about possibly adjusting our strategy. I'd love for you guys to um, get, at, get at me on Twitter and let me know what you think, whether it's on the casino to make us happy or whether we should maybe accept responsibility for playing a little bit faster and treating it more like a turbo or even a hyper turbo given the fact that the uh, blinds are about to go up in a big way when the big blind ante combined with being shorthanded. The effect of that is that it, it essentially speeds up the game substantially. Um, Want to hear about that? Maybe you can share with us some of your stories about things that you said when the uh, opponent sucked out on the river. I'll bet we've got some uh, stories out there that are much worse than, wait, the five was on the river, right? Uh, <laughs> that's a very, very small needle there. Yeah. Now you think it counts as a needle, more like a safety pin. Uh, so tweet me at Clayton Comic. And, uh, oh, Katie, please tell them uh, how they can follow you and, and your career. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Katie Stone Poker. And I tweet a lot about Borgata stuff but i also tweet you know a lot about other stuff too so right so even if you're nowhere near new jersey she's a great follow 
and uh, you know, obviously a brilliant mind, both in poker and uh, a conscientious person that's trying to live <laughs> life in a good way, which uh, I always like when those two things happen to uh, appear in the same human being. So for Katie Stone and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody knows she can't read.